They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. We're actually three bald pastors today. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Jim Hazelwood. And we are in person, which doesn't happen all that often. And uh, we're very fortunate to have you with us. So uh, thanks for coming down today. It is good to be here on a what is a very cool day, temperature-wise, here in May. And on uh, Memorial Day weekend, just after Memorial Day weekend, so... Uh, I had a busy Memorial Day. How about you? What did you guys do for Memorial uh, Day? I had a great weekend. And yesterday on Monday, my wife and I went on a 35-mile bike ride out to Watch Hill and back and had a great meal together. And it was perfect. Nice. I had a summer's worth of barbecues in about three days. Was, <laughs> I'm ready for that bike ride, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Yep. I need to move. And After I had this, a, I had a couple of good barbecues, and then saw my parents in Vermont yesterday. So yeah, good. it was a it was a good weekend. Good, excellent. Thanks. So program note: you are the only um, you are the third returning guest on the podcast. So that's that's some distinction, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> it's not remedial work. It's uh, maybe it's we honor. all need more friends. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> right, right, right. But anyway, welcome back. Glad you're here and. Uh, you're here to talk to us a little bit about your spirituality project that's turning into a book. Right. It is turning into a book. Thanks to the help of a lot of people in um, the New England Synod mainly. So to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to this project? So for years, actually decades, um, I have watched all these surveys of mainline Protestant Christians in particular. Um, Lutherans here in New England. First, there was the natural church development. Now there's the congregational assessment tool and several, and they always score low, (laughs) pathetically (laughs) low. It's like Lutherans don't have a spirituality. So this has been a great concern, as well as going around and just talking with pastors and talking with people in congregations. And yes, we have a group that's about three or four people, and that's it. And I started to think more and more, why is this? And as I looked at those instruments, their questions are biased in a particular direction towards a particular kind of spirituality. And that is, you know, how often do you read the Bible? Do you Mm. get up every morning at 5.30 a.m. and read your devotional book and say your prayers? And those kinds of things, which are fine, but we all know that's a pretty small minority of the population in general, much less church world, that actually does those things. And I'll be honest with you, I have tried for, I just turned 60, so not 60 years, because I wasn't too into this when I was like three, (laughs) but um, I have tried for 40 years to do these kinds of things, and they just haven't worked for me. And I started to think more and more about spirituality and my spirituality. And then I had an experience about two years ago listening to Rob Bell, who's an author, who when he was asked before one of his talks by somebody who is clearly very pious, what kind of spiritual practices do you engage in? And he just paused and looked and thought and said, "Uh, you mean like 
surfing. Right. <laughs> That's right. great. And and I don't remember anything else that was said that night. Yeah. But that moment was like... Like a light bulb yeah. came on. Oh, of course. Yeah. And so I started to think of what are all these things I do every day that people do every day or every week or every so often. And they really are examples of spirituality, of the, of the way in which we lead and live our lives, our yeah. expressions of spirituality. So that's basically, that was the idea. And then it was like, how do I write a book about this? And then I collected stories from people. Tell us a little bit about Ernst. You're good. You're good writing, buddy. Ernst, the co-author, right? The co. The co-author. You should dedicate it to Ernst. Ernst, who I intentionally spell E A R N S T, which I don't think most Ernsts spell their name, as if we know a lot of Ernst. But anyway, so Ernst is this voice that is in my head that says to me, and I think a lot of people, like 100, percent have the <laughs> same voice. And Ernst is the voice that says to me, who are you to think you can write a book? Who are you to think that you can get up on a Sunday morning and preach a sermon? Mm -hmm. Who are you to think you can amount to anything? Whatever it is, fill it all in. Boy, Ernst is, he's a powerful, and I won't fill in this is a family show <laughs> that's, that's right, right. <laughs> but um he knows how to get me and has gotten me for years on so many different things um and so ernst is that voice that says you can't do this mm-hmm. you're you're a loser you know and then pulls up all these old memories mm-hmm. of like mrs mckinley in seventh grade my english class correcting with red ink everywhere mm-hmm. um, and putting that on a bulletin board with all the other kids and all you see is red. This is what you did wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ernst is very, very strong and very, very powerful and almost uh, and still continues, but, yeah. but almost mm-hmm. stopped this project cold. And when you got to that point of wanting to stop because of Ernst, how did you push through that to get to the other side? Uh, good question. So, um, first, I moped um, for several days, and then, and I can't exactly remember how it all came about, but I decided to send an email on our, our email list, which goes out to about 3,000 people, basically saying, I'm thinking about this idea of everyday spirituality. Do you have, have any of you ever had any experiences of you know, spirituality, God, faith, the sacred, the divine in an ordinary life experience. And I got flooded with responses. I mean, nobody ever responds to stuff we send out, (laughs) right? And I got, you know, in the end, I got over 200 stories and vignettes and statements and little things. I mean, some of them were really, really personal and powerful. And I was uh, amazed and surprised how open and revealing mm. people were mm. about their lives. Uh, and, and, and that was, okay, I'm on to something here. Yep. Yep. And screw you, Ernst, we're going forward. <laughs> and then I had all these, you know, all these people helping me write the book. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. It was very cool. So did you take what they gave you and recraft it so it's got kind of a similar Format because I'm sure because you said some people gave you longer things than others and it just kind of edited it down so it 
yes. works as a format? The whole range. Yeah. I mean, I got the whole range from things like Twitter posts. Yeah. The old Twitter that was really <laughs> short, you know. Yeah. Uh, to pages and pages of stories of people pouring their life experience. Um, and in the book, I talk about because you get toward you get to the end of the book, and and I deal with grief and loss, and and there's a number of stories around death mm-hmm. that that people shared with me. Now, obviously, I get 200 responses. I, I couldn't use all right. of them. So what I did was I would take things that 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 worked the most, that had enough substance to them. By substance, I mean content, and that fit with a theme. Mm-hmm. So the book is is laid out into three sections. Um, you know, there's uh, there's there's twenty seven chapters, and each chapter is two to four pages. So they're short, and that's yep. by that's by design, and that's by personality, because <laughs> that's kind of the level of my uh, attention, attention span. span. <laughs> In fact, who are I like it already? Where are we going? I mean, what, what podcast is where this? am I now? Um, and um, so they're very short, and it's in three sections: things we do every day, things we do every week, and things we do every so often. So, things we do every day is like breathe, thank, taste, work, move. Every week are things like trust, question, cook, because not everybody cooks every day. Right. Yeah. Um, go walk, music, things we do every so often, garden, uh, surrender, conflict, loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as the book kind of progresses from an everyday kind of experience to an every week to things that are, you know, every so often or maybe once in a lifetime. Then I kind of had those categories um, and and put the stories in where they fit. Or in some cases, I didn't really think of a category and Mm. people's stories made me go, oh, that's one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why now? Why, you know, you're into your second term as uh, Bishop of the New England Synod. You've had this history of, of pastoring a church. Why write a book now? Well, now I'm in my second term. It's like, yeah, I'm done. You can't touch me. I've got freedom. Um, no, actually, it's not really too much related to the terms. It's related more, going back to Ernst, it's going back to turning 60 this year and getting to that phase in life when you can't double it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I turn 30, mm-hmm. yeah, I could double that, no problem. Even when I turn 40, I can double that. Even at 50, I thought, well, I remember I did Signa Johnson's funeral when she turned 100. So at 50, I could double you could that. You could do that. I could yeah. keep biking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Keep biking <laughs> yeah. and eating, drinking kale smoothies. Yeah, you know, exactly. that combination. But, you know, 60, uh, you can't double that. Mm. So I'm past the halfway mark. So there are a series of things I've always wanted to do in my life. And I thought, I got to do them now. Mm. Yep. One of them was uh, write a book. Um, so that's, that was kind of the push. That was the motivator. And now it's moving in my mind and in talking with people to not just write a book, but how can we make this how can we make this a new way of thinking about spirituality in the hmm. church? Um, and that is not to say, and I always have to be really clear with people, I am not saying that prayer and devotional books and that daily meditation is not good. That is great. Yes. I wish I could do that. Yeah. yeah. I do it 
every once in a while, that's going to be the next book. Things I do every once in a while that I should do more often. <laughs> but I, I, want, I want this to not be a should book. I want this to be a, a grace-filled book that people will read and go, oh, so when I go for a walk in the neighborhood, that's kind of a form of prayer. Right. Yeah. Um, when I'm out shopping, uh, when I'm at dinner with some friends, that's a form of spirituality. It's a very incarnational, very everyday, very regular. So I'm now thinking, okay, a book, but how can we make this a new way of thinking about spirituality in the church in general? Nice. Great. Thanks. Do you think it's um, like a cultural piece? Like, Because it sounds very, to me, just, I mean, we're three Lutheran pastors. It sounds like vocation. Like this is this is what we talk about when we say what it means to live faith in the world. But we've never really quite done it, actually. Or, or we've done it, we haven't talked about it. Maybe that's really the, the change. I think we've done it a little bit. I remember various curriculum pieces being released yeah. over the years on, you know, here's a six-week series that you can do with a small group study on vocational Lutheran identity, that kind of thing. Uh, but again, they were like six-week with, you know, a small group right. and an adult yeah. forum. And so you're getting the same people. Um, and I think there's a core group in most of our churches that, that get this and are going to read the book and go, yeah, like, yeah. duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I don't think what we have ever done is is woven it into everything that we do. And I'm, I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity yeah. here. Yeah. You know, I mean, because we all, we've all served in congregations. We've all had, you get that core group that's really interested. And then you get people that come on Sunday and for worship, usually Sunday. And that's when you have the most number right. of people available. I know we have in the Lutheran uh, tribe a very um, opinionated section of what should happen on that Sunday yes. morning. Yeah. And I, I'm mm-hmm. wondering if we can blow that up a little bit and say, let's expand this a little bit, you know. Yeah. I mean, so the book is, you know, you could take it and do three weeks, uh, you know, three Sundays. You could do 27 Sundays. That's a a long story. I don't know if I got that kind of stamina. I'd be be like Sunday number 11. Um, We're going to condense the rest into next Sunday and move on to something else. Um, But I I do think there's a cultural thing here that, um, and maybe that is part of just Lutherans. We've never been, we're not the spirituality denomination. I mean, you know, right. I mean, we've got Luther was pious, but, you know, he was living in the real world. And, yeah. Uh, I think that's really well, maybe, maybe that's just it is we kind of see ourselves as not other in that way. Yes, very much. Everyday life. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If a member of a church or even a pastor reads your book and says, I want to incorporate this into what we do. I want to change the face of spirituality in my church. What are some of the steps that you think would be helpful when they receive the book for, for them to do, to do that? That's a, that's a great question. And part of what I'm going to work on over the summer is some kind of a guide for it that has Mm. some practical things, but I'm not sure that the the 27 week series is a good thing. (laughs) But I think what you could do is have a theme, and it doesn't need to dominate the whole worship service or be the sermon, but your prayers in in the prayers of the people, you know, for those who are walking 
this week, whether for exercise or commuting to their job or walking to school, you know, we lift up the practice of walking as an expression of everyday spirituality. Mm hmm. Lord, in your mercy. Hey, that was pretty good that for us. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Did we record that? Because I want to write that one down. Um, but those kinds of things, so that it's just kind of something that you weave in, you know, in small ways. Because I'm, I think we're all now of. We're no longer living under the illusion that we're going to be able to change the world with the one new book or the one right, new right, thing. Right. But if we can start to weave in and to help people in our congregations see what they do all the time as an expression of spirituality. And there are other Lutheran words, as you brought up, vocation yeah. for this. I'm using the word spirituality because it's hot right now. Mm-hmm. It's, sure. it's the Vogue thing, you know, I'm spiritual, not religious, that kind of a right. thing. Yeah. But that's a really good question to think more about what are ways in which you could, you know, incorporate this yeah. into the life of a congregation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How has this book changed you? That It's fascinating. So prior to starting the book which I don't think I would have done if I had not done the stand-up comedy class. Because I did the stand-up comedy class in October, November, December last year. And what I learned from that is the value of editing. Mm. Because in the comedy class, Poppy said, you know, bring your life and bring six vignettes. And she wanted like two to three pages on each kind of thing. And you spent the next six weeks just slashing and burning. And you'd bring, you know, I'd bring this idea. And she'd go, yeah, that's just horrible. (laughs) Um, And she kind of, and I'd come back from that class every night, just kind of like Lisa would say, how was it? I don't want to talk about it. Um, Because it was just this experience of like, going down, 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 down. But then I did the comedy thing and that went well. And so what I look back on that was like, I understood editing for the first time. Mm. And I also understood a way of writing for me that I, apparently a lot of people do, but nobody ever taught me, which is like, when you write, just write. Just don't edit. Don't like write a sentence and then think, well, how should I reword that? Because that's just I don't know about you, but it drains the life out of yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Just do a brain dump or, you know, on your keyboard. And so that's then how I started then writing this. I just like let the floodgates open and I did each, you know, set. and then I go back much later. Um, so that's, so it's changing the way I think about writing um, and, and preaching and, and things like that in terms of the value of editing. Is there a, uh, well, I think I know the answer to this, but is there a connection to the people that are not connected to, say, a worshiping community that this this could be a resource to have a conversation? No, you must be attending a <laughs> ELCA yeah, Lutheran right. church in order... No. Yeah. So the book is Christian, Yeah, but it's decidedly open. Um, there are quotes from other religious traditions, leaders, literature... But I think that somebody who is on the edges or on the margins could read this or maybe once went to church could read this and go, ah, okay, that's really helpful. Um, Or I'd never thought about that or, you know, some of those kinds of ideas. On the cover, there's a a cross and I've been going back and forth with the cover design people like, do we want it to be that explicitly Christian? Yeah. Because it is, but it isn't. Um, and in the end, I realized there's a lot of spirituality out there. If you Google everyday spirituality, you get a whole range. Mm, sure. And this is this is a 
progressive, I think Lutheran, theologically sound book, but it's really wide open. And I, I mean, I'm, I've got stuff from Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. I've got Walt Whitman. You know, mm-hmm. there's um, feminist theologians that are kind of woven into this. And uh, just it's a really broad um, and accepting uh, approach. So I think a non-Christian could read it and, and, and feel welcomed. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. If not, you know, we'll do the next podcast. I apologize for page 27. So you said you've received many uh, submissions. I think at one point you said about approximately 200, and there's about 27 chapters. So obviously you weren't able to use all of them. Was there a story or an email that you did receive? This stands out to me for whatever reason, but it just is not going to fit into this book that you maybe want to share or talk about? So one of the things I'm going to do is, as I get permission from people, particularly the folks that sent me really personal things that didn't make it into the book, is I'm going to kind of slowly roll those out in supplemental, kind of in an e-newsletter um, kind of thing. There's one story in the book that a woman, um, I'm pretty sure it was a woman, sent me a dream that she had that is one of those dreams that people have that are so powerful and so clear and so unmistakably, this is what it's all about, Mm -hmm. uh, that um, I included that, but I had to, in conversation with this person, had to kind of dial back some of the personal Mm. kinds of things. Because we all know we have dreams and they can be really revealing and they can be very um, dangerous in the wrong hands. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. of this Old Testament guy named Joseph. <laughs> you got to be careful who you tell your dreams to. But in the dream, uh, she gets to the end of the dream, which I won't go into the whole thing. And the, there's a person and there's another woman in the dream, an old woman who looks at her and says, I just want what you want. And the woman wakes up from the dream and it was just this like, aha, mm. oh my gosh, kind of moment. And I, that might be, in the, it might be in the chapter on sleep. I'm not sure um, right now. So it's things like that. And then there's another story too of somebody, just uh, an experience around death of, of seeing what we would call visions, mm-hmm. uh, revelations, and how powerful this was and healing for this person to see a vision of his mother. Um, at, at the foot of a bed in an old home. And, uh, you know, I mean, and then going back and forth with the person via email, just like, have you ever told this to anybody? No. Mm, wow. Never. Wow. And so that also says to me that I think a lot of people have, yes, the everyday kind of spirituality, but also have these really powerful stories that they just haven't told anybody. And oftentimes it's like, well, I don't, I just a little embarrassed or am I crazy or would people laugh at me? Right. Mm. Right. Their own Ernst. Exactly. There we go. Ernst shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I did get an email from somebody about Ernst. A woman wanted to know if I, she could borrow uh, the name and called her voice Ernestine. And that's like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever works. Go for you go for it. For it. Yeah. Go for it. So besides everybody uh, buying this book and reading it, what, what kind of hopes do you have for what so first might of all, happen? So one of the things I've decided to do is in 2019, 
Anybody that buys the book, all the proceeds are going to go to the New England Synod Fund for Leaders and the Jubilee 2020 Fund. First of all, those are things that I think are really worthwhile. I also really wanted to make this about the resource, sure. not about me yeah. getting my 35 cents every time, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. And that's not including the Kindle version of 99 cents. I don't know, what is that, 3.5 cents? But I, I wanted to do that. So, I, I mean, I think the book is a resource. We're also, you were a part of the Synod Assembly last year where we had that card game um, and uh, which is kind of a way, it'll be a tool for people to do small groups uh, if they want to do conversations about different questions that will be kind of stimulating and, and so forth. So basically the idea is to roll out a bunch of different resources. People don't need to do the whole thing. They can kind of pick and choose. And I guess my one hope is to start a conversation about how is spirituality an everyday experience, an, ordin- an experience of the ordinary um, and not something that's just relegated to the prayer room or only uh, Sunday morning worship. That's my one hope. Mm-hmm. So if we succeed at that, I think it'll be really life-giving for a lot of people and a lot of congregations. Going back to Ernst or Ernestine, or is there uh, an example that you would be able to think of if someone says, I think I've had an experience that might fit into everyday spirituality, but it might just be so far out there that maybe God's not connected to it. Could you think of a, a possibility or, or do you think everybody's personal experiences can be related to everyday spirituality, whether it seems to be off base or, or not? So kind of like, is there anything in life that's not connected to this? Yeah, yeah. I suppose there probably is. And, you know, I think immediately people start to think about certain questions of ethics and morality. Are there certain acts or actions that people engage in? Absolutely, of course. We mm-hmm. can kind of run through the list of the obvious ones that, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be really hard-pressed to make a case for that. And, you know, that's probably, you know, maybe the one of the things that would get brought out is if you have this conversation in your congregation, okay. So walking and sleeping and breathing and all of this is a part of everyday spirituality. But what about, you know, and that could be a really worthwhile discussion to kind of probe that. I guess, though, I would say here's my caution. Yes, there's the obvious ones. Okay. Horrible things done to people, children, things like that. The tendency, though, that I'm trying to fight against is our wanting to put more things that are not spiritual and so therefore not even engage in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'd want to encourage people to look more broadly at what spirituality is. So there's the obvious things that we say, well, that's not connected to God, but here are so many other things and so many other aspects of life that are most people are living kind of this ordinary everyday life and just kind of, you know, going to the grocery store and going to work and maybe volunteering for something like that. You know, I want them to start to think about that as a part right. of their spirituality right. as opposed to, um, about, well, that's, that's not church. Right. Or right. That's not synagogue or that's not temple. That's, that's what I do during the week. I'm trying to bridge that gap. A mom or a dad going to the grocery store, spending 45 minutes grocery shopping, just walking up and down the aisles, thinking about 
their family, thinking about healthy stuff that they can make for, for dinner. I mean, that could be considered Absolutely. everyday spirituality. Yeah, and their interactions with people and yeah. how they interact with people. Um, and maybe if people started to realize they're at the grocery store and they're having this experience of, you know, this is an expression of my spirituality. Well, then when the line at the fish counter is really long yeah. and you finally get up there and you have somewhere in your consciousness that this is an expression of everyday spirituality, what you're doing, you're not going to light up the, the fish counter with your <laughs> outrage of having to wait 15 Tending. minutes. 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and maybe in the context of you know a global situation of hunger and so forth and so on, you realize... Yeah, I'm just grateful for being here, having the opportunity to buy my fish. Thank you. And you may not say all of that, right? But maybe that's uh, maybe that's an impact of how how it'll play itself out in in what we would call discipleship. Yeah, yeah. And the other side of all of this, I mean, we had a storyteller with us in the fall at convocation. We have storytelling as a theme during Synod Assembly, having the ability for people to articulate their stories out loud in this way, well, it'll be published and you can read them, but to enable people to do that as a spiritual practice with others yes. seems like a huge potential here. Absolutely. I mean, just think what you could do in congregational life. I mean, you're yeah. working with some people in your congregation about, okay, you know, let's take, okay, we don't want to take all 27, but, you know, let's take, you know, um, what do we got? Laugh as laughing as one of the, one of the chapters, you know, you know, and talk to Marilyn and Marilyn was laughing this week. And can she tell a story about how that laughing was an expression of spirituality in a two to three minute, you know, mission moment, temple talk in a kind yeah. yep. in a worship setting. Yep. And then people hear, oh, wow, Marilyn, she laughs all the time. I guess that really is an expression of her spirituality. Those kinds of things. Yeah. And then the, the group is feeding each other a little bit, too. And then it's not just the show or their production or the, what did I get out of it today? Or, right. boy, that right. hymn sucked. It, it becomes it was, much more interactive. And, yeah. And some people won't want to speak their stories, but they'll write them. Right. Some people will want to do it just, you know, after, you know, in the parking lot, you know, in a casual one-on-one or smaller group setting. Different ways you could do it. Yeah, we're spinning out a bunch of ideas. It's yeah. good. Good. We should record this and put it out into the internets. That is a great idea. We should do that. <laughs> that would be helpful. Is there a way? <laughs> as soon as we figure it out, it'll change. That I know. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today for telling us about the new book. So if someone wants to learn more about it or more about you and what you are doing to promote the book or just to connect with you and tell more stories, how could they do that? Sure. So uh, probably the easiest, best way is on my website, which is bishoponabike.com. And there's uh, some information about the book. It's going to come out in August. It'll be in an ebook. It'll be in a print book. And it'll be in an audio book format. And um, there's if they're interested and they want to get some information about how the book, the kind of the details behind Ernest and the story behind that, they can sign up for uh, 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 that on my website and they can get that and look at resources about everyday spirituality going forward. But that's the best way to do it. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hey, it was fun, and it, we did the reunion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Part three to come. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's podcast. We are the Two Bald Pastors, helping you connect your faith with your life. 
Today we are the Three Bald Pastors, but uh, you can find out more about us on our Facebook page, Two Bald Pastors, or our website, twobaldpastors.com. Have a great day, everybody. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Um, yeah, I'm hearing chirping over there. Are you hearing chirping? Are those I am. The chirpers? I think it's your chair, Joe. Oh, I don't even hear it. I have the headphones on. Well, if you can't hear it, then nobody else can. Perfect. <laughs> um.